This evening we're going to continue our series looking at the parables of the Lord Jesus Christ concerning the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, same thing. And this evening we're going to be looking at the wheat and the tares, the wheat and the tares. Turn to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13. Last week we looked at the first of the parables in Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the soils or the parable of the sower. And you may remember that came in two parts. First of all, there was the earthly story. Jesus, he was in a boat. The boat was his pulpit and the multitude were on the shore and he taught them in parables and he told them the earthly story about a man, a sower who sows seed. And the seed fell onto four different types of ground. And it was a story that presumably most, if not all, of the multitude would have understood and likewise I trust that all of you understood that story. But then afterwards he spoke privately to his disciples, explaining to them that the the, the heavenly meaning, the thing, the spiritual application wasn't for everybody. It was for those who have ears to hear, eyes to see, those whom it, whom it is given by God to understand these things. We, we got the same thing this evening in the parable that we're looking at this evening, the parable of the wheat and the tares. First of all, we have the earthly story. Afterwards, Jesus then explains it, not to everyone. Once again, he explains it to his disciples. In other words, to Christians. First of all, looking at the earthly story, I'm going to read verses 24 and 25 of Matthew chapter 13. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. What we have is a man who sowed good seed in his field. However, in the dead of night, when no one could see, his enemy sowed tares among the wheat. Now, looking at my dictionary, because I wasn't sure what tares meant, according to my dictionary, tares are rye grass and they look very much like wheat until such time they bring forth fruit. According to the dictionary, their seeds are poisonous, producing sleepiness, nausea, convulsions, and even death. Suffice to say that the tares in this second parable in Matthew chapter 13 were not very nice. They were very unpleasant, even though they initially resembled wheat, and sowing them among the wheat would have been an evil malicious and destructive thing to do. We'll move on to verses 26 and 27. 
But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence have it tares? When the wheat and the tares sprung up, the manservants could not understand how the tares got there. It would seem that it didn't even occur to them that anyone could do such an evil thing as to sow tares amongst the wheat. And finally, in verses 28 to 30, Jesus said, An enemy have done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. The man told his servants that an enemy had sown the tares in his field in response to what their master said to them and ever wishing to serve their master they asked him if they could pull out the tares but he said no and he explained to them that if they did that they might pull out the wheat along with the tares. And he instructed his servants to leave well alone until the harvest and then burn the the tares in the fire, the furnace of fire, and gather the wheat into his barn. I trust you can all understand the earthly story. It's not that complicated, is it? Even if you're not um, farmers or gardeners, it's a, a pretty straightforward story. Turning our attention to the explanation given by the Lord Jesus Christ, the spiritual application, spiritual lessons, we read in verses 36 through to 43. Then Jesus sent the multitude away. You see that there. He's on his own with the disciples again. Went into the house and his disciples came unto him saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, the good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun, in the kingdom of their father. Who have ears to hear, let him hear. Who has ears to hear, let him hear. 
It's all very solemn, isn't it? But those last words are extremely solemn as well. Who has ears to hear? Let him hear. The disciples who Jesus spoke to privately. What about you? Here, now. Ears to hear, to understand. We'll see. The man whose field it was is the son of man, according to verse 37. In other words, the man in the story is who? The son of man is Jesus, for he is the son of man. That's easy to deduce. For example, in Matthew's gospel alone, Jesus spoke about himself as the son of man no less than 33 times. As well as Jesus being the son of man, he is the son of God. For example, keep your fingers in verse in chapter 13. Just turn over a couple of pages to verse uh, chapter 16 rather. Chapter 16. I'm going to read from verse 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood have not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. We see in that last verse there, Peter, the Apostle Peter, he made that confession of faith there. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Well, you can read that in the Bible. We're told that Jesus is the Son of God. You can have that intellectual understanding, but to have that written in your hearts, that's something else. It's a revelation to you and in you by God. And and so it is for those who have ears to hear, eyes to see, and indeed people whose hearts God opens to receive spiritual truth. Not for everyone. But can you see in those verses in in Matthew chapter 16 that Jesus is both the Son of Man and the Son of God? God. In other words, he is the man who is God. Therefore, coming back to chapter 13, the owner of that field is the incarnate Son of God. He is God, manifest in the flesh. And it is Jesus, the the man who is God, who sows the good seed. The good seed in verse 24, we're back in Matthew 13 here. The good seed in verse 24 is said by Jesus to be the children of the kingdom.
said by Jesus to be the children of the kingdom when he gives his explanation there. Yeah, sorry, that's in verse 38. So the seed that he sows are the children of the kingdom. The field is the world. The one who sowed the tares is the devil and they are his children. The tares are the children of the evil one, the devil. In the earthly story, the men's, the man's servants were instructed to wait until the harvest, at which time they were to burn the tares and gather the wheat into the man's barn. The harvest, that re- represents the end of the world, when the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ, will come in judgment. When that happens, there will be a twofold harvest, as we see in this parable. Jesus will send his angels to gather up the children of the wicked one and they will be cast into a furnace of fire where there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. But also the righteous, that is the children of the kingdom, will shine forth like the sun. There's much to consider in the parable of the wheat and the tares. First of all, we can consider how it relates to the previous parable, the parable of the soils. In the previous parable, the seeds are the word of God and if if the seeds are the word of God, then all of the seeds are good because they are the, the word, the seeds are the word of God, can be nothing other than good. And therefore, they are all good, wherever they are cast, wherever they are sown. However, in today's parable, the seeds are not the word of God, they are people. Some are good in that they are the children of the kingdom, but then some are bad in that they are the children of the evil one, the devil. In the parable of the soils, the seeds which are all good fall onto four different types of soil, each representing men's hearts. Only one of the hearts is fertile ground and produces an abundance of good fruit. One might say that the other three grounds representing hearts, the people whose hearts they were, did not have ears to hear. It was not given to them to receive, to understand spiritual truth. In today's parable, the, the, the seeds are all sown onto the same field. Not four different types of ground. The seeds are all sown into one field, which we are told is the world. Therefore, the fertile soil that receives the seeds and brings forth fruit in the parable of the soils, let's think about this. The seed is good. It's, cut, it's sown into fertile soil, it produces um, fruit, an abundance of fruit. That is one and the same as the wheat that is sown into the world. Putting it another way, the heart that receives the word of God and brings forth an abundance of fruit in the previous parable, the parable of the soils, belongs to the child of the kingdom in today's parable, the kingdom of God in today's parable. Secondly, it can be seen that there will be a harvest at the end of the world. 
There's no getting away from that. It's very clear in this parable that this world will come to an end. When it do- and when it does, Jesus will judge everyone who has ever lived. Everyone. People will rise from the graves. Those who are dead will rise up from the grave and then they will be with those who are still alive when Jesus comes and he will judge everyone who has ever lived. For example, in chapter 25 of Matthew's Gospel, verses 31 to 32 and verse 46, Jesus said, When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory and before him shall be gathered all nations and he, sh- he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. In our parable today, it's wheat and tares, what I'm reading to you here from chapter 25, sheep and goats. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, that's the goats, but the righteous, or the sheep, into life eternal. In the book of Daniel, three godly men, might one might say they were wheat, three godly men were cast into a fiery furnace by Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, because they refused to bow down and worship a 90-foot-high golden image that had been erected by the king. Although the Son of God was, or the Son of Man, Son of God, the Son of God, before he became flesh, the Son of God was with those righteous men in the fire all those years ago, about 800 years, or sorry, 500 years before Jesus came into the world, you can be sure that he will not be in the furnace of fire with the children of the wicked one when they are cast into hellfire at the harvest, at the end of the world. But I will tell you who will be with them in that fire. Their father, the devil, will be with them. Note that the parable of the wheat and the tares speaks of just two ages in the history of the world and they are separated by the harvest when the Son of Man shall come again in judgment. The first period of world history which we are now in is a time when both wheat and tares are sown into the world and we see that to be the case with Christians and non-Christians living and working side by side, all together in this world. But then shall come the harvest, and there will be a separation for everyone, for every, forevermore, with the righteous shining forth like the sun, and the children of the evil one being cast into the furnace of fire, where there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. For now we're all together in the field, which is the world. Come the harvest, things will be very different and there will be that separation forevermore. Even so, there are many people within the churches who have a premillennial belief that the second coming of Jesus will be followed by a thousand year period of time when Jesus shall reign in the world 
in an earthly temple. Clearly that is not consistent with this parable. Neither is it consistent with the words of Jesus in what I just read to you in Matthew chapter 25 verses 31 and 32 where he said, When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, he shall reign for a thousand years in a temple. He doesn't say that actually. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory and before him shall be gathered all nations and he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. So much for the premillennial view. And then there are others within churches who are post-millennialists in that they believe that there will be a millennial period of time when Christianity will prevail upon the earth. However, as we've already seen in this parable of the wheat and the tares, they will continue to grow together right up until the harvest or judgment when Jesus returns. One would have to ask, where do they get it from that Christianity will prevail in this wicked world that we live in, of which the devil is prince. Thirdly, we can consider the characteristics or distinguishing features of wheat and tares. Looking again at verse 26 in Matthew 13. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. Although there is no discernible difference between the wheat and the tares initially, the difference becomes apparent when their fruit is brought forth. And that also applies to the children of the kingdom and the children of the evil one. The difference can be seen in their fruit. What precisely is their fruit? Looking first at the children of the evil one, John chapter 8, Jesus spoke to some unbelieving Jews, they were Pharisees, and in John chapter 8, verse 43 and 44, Jesus said to them, Why do you not understand my speech? Because ye cannot hear my word. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar, and the father of it. Note that the children of the devil, people who carry out the devil's evil desires, doesn't necessarily mean they have to go around lying constantly, going around killing people. This is just an idea. This is explaining who they're serving here. The prince of the world, the god of this world, the devil, is a liar and a murderer. And we see that this is a world that spins on an axis of lies and deceit. We see it with our leaders. We see it throughout society. Lies at every level of society. As for murder, that speaks of the 
the, 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 the evil condition of the human heart. Murderous hearts. Jesus said, from the heart, from the heart proceeds murders, evil thoughts, idolatries, adulteries, thefts, blasphemies, and so on. And these hearts belong to people who serve their father, the devil. They are children of the evil one. And note that those people, the children of the devil, again, we see that they do not understand Jesus. They do not hear him and they do not understand him. Neither do they, they do not have ears to hear him. In other words, they are spiritually dead. And that is a description of the majority of people in the world that we live in. Even in the churches, there are professing Christians who are in fact tares. I'll say that again. People in the churches, professing Christians, who are tares. They do not have eyes to see, they do not have ears to hear, neither do they have hearts to understand the word of God. And when they're not busy attending church services, they do the lusts of their father, the devil. Looking now at the children of the kingdom, quite a long reading here, but it's very relevant. I'm going to read to you 1 John chapter 2, Verse 29 through to chapter 3, verse 10. You can follow in your own Bibles or listen to me. 1 John chapter 2, verse 29. The Apostle John said, If ye know that he is righteous, ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Not the sons of the evil ones, but the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew uh, knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that have this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. This is speaking about an ongoing and progressive work of sanctification by the indwelling Holy Spirit in all who are children of God. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins. Jesus was manifested to take away our sins. And in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth have not seen him, neither known him. Little children... Let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, 
that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, his seed. Now we're back to the seed here, but it's back to the seed of the first parable in Matthew chapter 13. It's the word of God. The, the word of the seed which is the word of God liveth and abideth forever. This is speaking about the word of God abiding in the hearts of the sons of God. And he cannot sin because he is born of God. In this the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither, is, neither he that loveth not his brother. There's a lot in that passage and I don't expect anyone to, to grasp too much of that right now. You'd have to sit down for your, and read it for yourself, study it and have a good think. There's a lot in that passage about loving fellow Christians. Suffice to say, if you are a child of God, you show your love for God by loving other Christians. That goes without saying. If you do not love the children of God, then any claim that you may make of loving God just doesn't add up. And doing righteousness and not sinning. There's a lot of that, isn't there? Doing righteousness and not sinning, if indeed you are a child of the kingdom. Although that most certainly does not mean living a sinless life. Only Jesus lived a sinless life. And it was after a, a life of sinless obedience to God that Jesus laid down his life as the sinless Son of God, the Lamb of God at Calvary's cross for sinners like you and like me. And even now, child of God, you do sin. I know you do and I sin. However, However, it does nevertheless mean denying ungodliness and worldly lust. It does mean living soberly, righteously and godly in this present world. As you look for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and Saviour Jesus Christ, who gave himself for you, that he might redeem you from all iniquity and purify you as his own very special child, zealous of good works. That's perfectly reasonable when you consider that the children of the kingdom are the righteous. We see that in Matthew 13, verse 43. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Who have ears to hear, let him hear. That's the Christian how is it that you're righteous? Well, first and foremost, you are covered in the righteousness of Jesus and his sinless obedience to God. But then, as I've just been talking about, and as John the Apostle spoke about in his epistle, there is that, there's inevitably going to be the Holy Spirit working in you to will and to do of God's good pleasure. In other words, the righteous are born again by God the Holy Spirit 
They are saved from their sins and justified through faith in the Son of God who loved them and who paid the price for their sins at the cross, having fulfilled the Lord's demands on their behalf throughout his earthly earthly sojourn. And as I say, they're clothed, having been clothed in his righteousness, they go on to do to live lives in the flesh by faith of the Son of God who loved them. And they seek to do his will. They are people who, who hear Jesus and they do his sayings. As new creatures in Christ, old things are passed away, all things are become new. The righteous are not conformed to the world of which the devil is prince. Rather, they are being renewed, or transformed rather, by the renewing of their minds. Is that a description of you? Are you weed, or are you wheat? Are you a child of the evil one, or a child of the everlasting kingdom? Do you do the lusts of the evil one, or do you draw on the enabling grace of God, to do that which is pleasing in his sight, as you praise him for his ever-loving love, everlasting love, indeed his Calvary love for you. It's all one thing or another in those questions, isn't it? Putting it very simply, do you have a heavenly hope that is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness? Because if you do, there will be fruit in your life. It's inevitable. God will ensure that that is the case. Amen.